when you created Man Uncivilized, when you created this movement, what was going on in your life? Like, where were you at physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually? Where were you at when you got the, the idea to create this movement? I was in an interesting place, Sly. I is, I'd come out of a divorce, so I was freshly divorced. Um, I had sold a business to my partner probably a year prior that I had gone all in for six years of my life, like six, seven days a week. And it was a, a fitness facility. So it was like community oriented in person. You know, I was there every day. I probably hugged 300 people a week and wrote blog posts, articles, all these things. It was like a full thing. And I, I just stepped away from that a year later or a year prior. And I'd done this wild project, the year to live project. So I'd been on the road for a year. I'd done all this amazing stuff. Uh, I'd extended myself. I'd grown. I'd like literally had this year long wild adventure of all these initiations. And I landed back in New York. My buddy at the end of that year had said, and now this is kind of a long way of answering your question, but I'll give you some insight. So I did this year-long program, and this was like December 27th, uh, so the very end. My, and my buddy in Connecticut, a guy from high school, was like, where are you going to go in four days when this whole thing's over? Like, literally, where are you going to go? And I was like, I have no idea. He's like, you have no idea where you're going to end up in the world in, in literally, but on, like, this is a Monday, like on Friday. And I was like, I have no idea. I may drive back to Colorado. I may go to California. I literally have no idea. He goes, well, I have a house in Southampton that we only use in the summers. You can stay there for as long as you want. This is December, right? Like no one will be in this place until April. I was like, okay, cool. So I go move into this house by myself. I've just done this wild experiment. I've had two major chapters of my life closed and I hit a wall, brother. I hit like rock bottom. I don't know what to do with myself. I have money coming in from the sale of the business, but it's like, you know, three grand a month. I don't have to pay rent. So it's, it's okay. I'm surviving. And I'll jump forward a little bit. I end up being challenged by another friend to write a book. He's like, what if you sat back and you wrote 65 to 90 letters, individual letters to the guy who woke up and found out his wife was leaving. And I was like, I can do that. And boom, right? Like six weeks later, I have a book. Now I put this thing out. It's in the world. It's, you know, it's my first book. It's selling on Amazon. I'm, I'm making like $9 a week, uh, living the, 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 the author's high life and pimping myself to anyone who let me talk. And also really feeling like this isn't what I want to do with myself. I don't want to talk about divorce. It was a book about divorce. So it was a book about recovering from heartbreak. I was like, this, this just doesn't feel like it's my thing, you know? And I don't know what my thing is, but God, how can I not know what my thing is after a year of introspection and all of this deep work and therapy and all that shit? So that's like swimming around in my head. So I moved to Brooklyn. I have a guy who I had met at TED a uh, really cool guy named Adam Cobb. And he's living in this awesome building right on the water in Brooklyn. And he says, my roommate just moved out. I have a space if you want it, but you're going to have to come up with like 2,500 bucks a month. This is, you know, it's New York city. You're, it's, you can't live in someone else's house from now on. And I actually said to myself, that will be good for me here. I don't have rent. I've got no schedule. I don't have, I don't have anything really going on or that much going on. So here's the story, man. I move into Brooklyn and I'm like, I want to start. I just have this wild hair. Like, I think I want to have a men's meeting here. I want to see what happens if I gather men and just talk to them. This is like the tiniest seed of an idea. It's nothing of an idea. And my, but I was like, cool. You know, like this building has a conference center. You can just like sign your name up. You can have it for the night. I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. I'm still not sure what the hell I'm going to do with myself. But for whatever reason, that idea came in. So I send this out on Facebook. I put it on Meetup or, or LinkedIn. Like send it everywhere. 
and I'm imagining Sly like opening the conference doors, the center door. And it's like a Tony Robbins, you know, thing like fireworks are going off. People are up like, like, you know, standing ovation. And so the day comes, I open the door and there's one guy, there's one dude in there. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. I have, I have a coach's like thought in my ear, which is one in a row. Like you just need one. And so I sit down with this dude and for like 45 minutes, I just spit everything I know about masculinity, integrity, primal, divine uh, boundaries, like my five principles of masculinity, this idea, like just this, all my stuff, boom, 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 boom. And at the 45 minute mark, I probably stop and take my first breath. And he goes, Hey man, <laughs> let, let me stop you here. Um, I've just followed you for a couple of years on social media from your fitness days. And I just need some help losing 25 pounds. And I went, Oh, okay. Um, awesome. Okay. Let me take my, my new hat off and put my old fitness hat on. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about workouts, blah, blah, blah. And I start spitting fire and he goes, Hey, hey slow down, slow down. Um, here's my problem. I can't not eat McDonald's breakfast burritos. And I went, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I, I'm here goes my like, I've gone from Tony Robbins to just saying like, okay, I'm going to solve your problem right here. Are you ready for it? Never step foot in another McDonald's again, period. We're done here. I'm going to go back upstairs. He goes, well, I can't really do that. I was like, why can't you do that? Do you work at McDonald's? He's like, no, their coffee is just so delicious. And I went, okay, I'm now of all my years of experience, 40 years on this earth, like scraping by to live in this building. It's like me up against a French press, like that, a French press. I can go on Amazon and for $19, I can solve this man's problems. So long story short, we actually, he, he does like, here's the, the tease or the, the, the giveaway. He does lose 25 pounds. He does send me a picture of himself six months later with his arm raised in a charity boxing match in Madison square garden. It's one of the coolest things I've ever gotten as an image. He was a cop and it was like a charity thing. And here's the rest of the story. I go upstairs and I tell my roommate, Adam, like, I just wasted my fucking time. I just wasted my energy. I'm like, super frustrated and then he and i hang out and we spend the rest of the night actually talking about some stuff that happened with uh his father when he was growing up we talked about some painful stuff about ex-girlfriends i told him about the uh miscarriage my ex-wife had had and we went to bed next morning this dude is like mr fitness he trains nba players so like 5 a.m dunk 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 knock on my door like 5 a.m club let's go to the gym and I stumble out of my bedroom and I'm like, oh, fuck it. Let's go downstairs. Let's go to the gym, rub my eye. And right as we're about to leave, he goes, hey, man, question for you. When was the last time you ate McDonald's? And I went, I don't eat that shit. That's civilian food. And he actually slight pulls his phone out. He starts filming me. And he goes, what do you mean by civilian? And I said, brother, take a look at this apartment. Like we're two single guys living here, there's no TV. There's no alcohol. There's no drugs. We spent last night actually connecting about stuff that matters that most guys wouldn't talk about. We're about to go downstairs and throw ourselves into a pile of weights and kick the shit out of ourselves and then come up here and eat well. Like this is not how civilians live. And if it, and if it is, I certainly don't want to be a civilian. I want to be uncivilized. And he kind of like, okay. And we went downstairs and we're lifting. And, and I was like, man, that word, that word just like would not leave my head of like, you know what? There's this idea that men get to like tap into their fucking primal savagery, right? That like, we can't get rid of that. But what if we owned that and then brought in this massive amount of consciousness, this massive amount of emotional intelligence, this massive amount of feeling. What if we were connected the way my buddy and I were the night before and now are going after it? Like we're, we're downstairs, two frat boys in a gym, like making fun of each other, like doing the thing. 
And so to answer your question, I then threw that on social media that afternoon. I was like, hey, I have an idea, men becoming uncivilized. So where was I? I was broke. I was living in someone's apartment. I was freshly divorced. I was not in a good place. I was like fighting day to day to try to figure out what the hell to do with myself. And from that day forward, it was like, boom, my life took off in ways I never could have imagined. Man, it's just like, there's just so much beauty when we are able to look into our lives and see desperation and fear and pain, you know, and to find some type of power, you know, inspiration, push to even find our light in a way when we feel in these, like we're in these dark spaces and you were able to do that and turn a word, an idea into an entire movement that has now, how many years ago was that? That was 2018. That was like three and a half years ago. So, so let's round up because I love rounding up because fractions are really hard for my brain. Four years <laughs> so ago. Four, <laughs> so four years ago. Uh, and since then, you've, you've went on to do lots of speaking and, and books. You're, you have your own podcast, mm -hmm. you know, hosting retreats and just really taking an idea and growing it. It's, it's, it's just beautiful to see. And I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know yeah, that. Thank you. I've been, been friends with you for about two years now. Never heard that story. Powerful. Yeah. So you mentioned in your, in, in there, um, I think you called them the five principles of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me not just the five principles, but like how they work together and how they're integrated together uh, and, and just what it means to you? Mm -hmm. So it's strength, presence, responsibility, obsession, and competence. Those to me are like at the core of if you want to be successful as a man, I don't care about anything else that you do. I don't care what color you are. I don't care who you sleep with. I don't care who you pray to. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what you look like. But as a guy, when you sit down and go, okay, throughout, I can look at any culture throughout history and go, men, strong. It, it helps to be strong. It benefits you in every way. I've literally never had a guy call me sly and be like, you know why my wife's leaving? You know why my business is struggling? You know why my kids don't like me? I'm just too strong. I'm just too strong, right? If it happens, I'll shift that. But also, I am an ex-athlete. I am an athlete. And I've known from day one, when my life starts to get chaotic, which, and I know it's a loaded term to say the feminine or feminine energy is chaotic, but I believe it to be. It's not structured and ordered like masculine energy is. Then the first thing I do is take myself to a gym. First thing I do is start knocking out push-ups. I had a guy last week reach out and say, hey, I'm in a really bad spot. I had to move back home with my family. I'm not with my parents. I'm not making much money. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. And I said, brother, you're doing 100 push-ups a day. Now, is that going to solve all of his life's issues without cure any pain or trauma or no, but it'll help. It'll help. And he did. He wrote me back uh, three days ago. I was like, I'm sore. And that feels really good. It's like, good. So strength, right? And then here's the, the, the bigger one. I'll even say, especially today, presence. Men are epidemically distracted. We are obsessed with our phones, with cars, with chasing shit we don't need, with women. We are distracted, distracted, distracted to where you can sit in front of someone and have a full conversation and they're not there. They're not in the room with you. Ask women. You can have sex with someone and they're not in the room with you. They're completely, they're, they're gone. So men actually embody, being in their bodies, being in our bodies, being able to say like, Hey, Sly, how do you feel right now? And you're going, hmm, one second. Actually, I feel calm. I feel frustrated. I feel like presence. You know where the hell you are. Number three is, is something that I think we've gotten away from. And I remember getting away from my own life. And when it came back was responsibility of no one's coming to save us. We can look at cultural views of men. What happens when men aren't able to produce, right? We get kicked to the side. 
I hear a lot about, yes, male privilege is something that exists. And yes, a lot of, a few of us occupy the top slot in society, but the bottom of that bell curve is mostly men too, right? We don't do well if we're not producing. So taking ownership, taking responsibility, you and I saying like, hey, I don't like this thing about my life, huh? Okay, I got to do something about that. I'm not liking how my interactions are with my, my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whoever it is. I got to do something about that. My health isn't the way I want it. I got to do something about that. As opposed to outsourcing all of our power and our, our needs and our responsibilities to other people, to our parents, to our, our spouses, to the government, to whoever. Like I literally live by like, no one's coming to save us. No one's coming to save us. I'm telling you, right? And we can go down a different pathway of, of are people coming to save women? I don't know. I'm not one. But I also know that it's been ingrained in me since day one. If you fail, no one gives a fuck. No matter how good looking you are, no matter how many babies you can make, no one cares if you're a man and you're not doing well. So you better take ownership for that yourself. Obsession is one that people like hit me up about like, well, do you really want people obsessed? And to me, it's, it's that like narrow focused, dogged determinant determination. Like you got to have passion, right? To me, that actually is part of being a man is being like, I got passion for something other than my partner, something other than my primary relationship, right? Like I love jujitsu. I love surfing. I love writing. I love business. I love podcasting. To me, the most interesting people in the world are like, how many hobbies do you have? I'm like 36 and I'm working on 37, right? <laughs> and our problems are like, I have too many damn hobbies. I remember a year ago, someone was like, hey, do you want to check out kiteboarding? You know that where you're like riding a surfboard on a kite? And I was like, no, I do not want to check out kiteboarding. I do not want one more thing for my life to be going into. But one of the challenges I see with so many men, Sly, is that we are like German shepherds. You give us a fucking bone to chew on, we're going to be the happiest creatures on earth. Let me write a book. I'll write a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build this house. I'll build this house. Like, think of the things men have done. You want to go to the moon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll go to the moon. Then, But if we don't have the bone, what are we doing? Like, oh, look at you peeing on the couch chewing up the couch in the corner. Look at you creating destruction, creating mayhem or worse, which we're seeing now, I think even more, I'm just going to go lie in the corner and I'm going to wait to die. I'm going to give up. I'm going to collapse. I'm going to, I'm just going to check out of life. I'm not going to show up. I'm going to literally, we're see, this is the big one for me right now is how many letters and DMS and emails I get from people saying my brother just quit. Like quit what? Quit quit everything. He just he's just down. He won't do it. He won't. He used to be so effusive and demonstrative and all the things. So I'm like, man, you got. And I was that way, right? And I'm telling you, living in my buddy's house and tell my friends that, hey, you're not you're not pulling your weight. You got to write this thing. I want 90 fucking letters to the you who got left. Like that day, he shoved the bone in my mouth, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Write the book. Write the book. And I did. And the last one which kind of stems off responsibility is just competency, like being good at something, being good at a lot of stuff, right? It, it lends itself into the next thing, which I would add, which would be mastery that like, we got to be fucking masters at something, but I don't know about you. I, I love being able to do shit like, Oh, my tire's flat. I got that. I can change it. Oh, I need to make more money in my business. It's okay. I know, I know how to do, I know how to market. Oh, I'm an acupuncturist. You get sick, you get hurt. Oh, I can take care of that. To me, it, it helps just to gather skills. And this is part of the masculine frame of provide and protect, right? Provide and protect. That's why we're bigger. It's why we're stronger. It's why we can run faster. It's why we like to like shoot shit. You got a, a toddler, like what's he just like why we like to break shit, right? It's part of our deal of, of, of using our bodies and, and having that frame of really being integral into society of like, hey, everybody around me is going to be okay because I'm here. That's a big part of it. So those are the five. I, got, I could spit ideas all day, but those, that's to me like when, when guys call me and they're, they're not doing well, 
I usually can pinpoint one of those. It's like, hey, man, are you taking responsibility for your life? You're not, are you? Huh? What skills do you need to learn? How do you need to get more competent? How come you're not feeling any passion right now? Man, you're checked out twice on this call. You've looked at your phone and, I'm, and you're paying me. And bro, go get stronger. Everything gets better when you get stronger. Powerful. And I do want to add that I hit my bench press PR last week. See? <laughs> How fucking awesome was that, right? <laughs> and like, I think that I think there there may be a nugget in there. So I need to share. So please tell me. Um a lot of the times when I go to the gym, I'm working out by myself. And so it's so much easier when you have a partner, you have someone you're working with to go to your higher levels because you, you have accountability. And then from a safety standpoint, you have someone to spot you, you know? And so typically when I'm training bench press, I'm by myself. I recognize this pattern where I wouldn't put on as much weight as I was capable of because I was by myself, safety. And so for the last month or two, I'm like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to ask every day. I'm going to ask somebody to spot me. Somebody needs to spot me. Mm -hmm. I don't care if I know you, we're best friends. If you're my enemy, if you're in the gym when I'm in the gym and I need a spot, I'm going to ask you for a spot. Okay. So the day that I made that like mental switch, I started feeling stronger because then I was training more. I was training uh, with higher weights. So I go up to this guy and he was standing with his girl and they were waiting for um, they were waiting for the leg press machine. They hadn't even started their workout. So I'm like, oh, this is the perfect guy to go up to. So I was like, hey, brother, can I get a spot from you over here on the bench press? This is my last set. Nobody ever says no when you ask for a spot right. ever. Right. So he's like, yeah, I got you 100 percent. So he comes over. First thing you're going to do when you ask, when someone asks you for a spot is you say, how many are you going for? So as a spotter, you know what type of intensity you need to have. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm going for one. He said, okay. So I got 225 on there. And <clears throat> the last time that I did it, I got four. And when I got four, I was dead. So, you know, kind of, you know, get the shoulders loose. You know how it is. You got to get the shoulders loose, start rolling the shoulders, (laughs) breathing. And before I do anything heavy, I really breathe into my body and I close my eyes and I visualize myself doing it. This is something I learned from playing football. So I close my eyes. I visualize myself doing it. I see myself doing it one time, which is what I told the guy. So, boom, I get one, two, three, lift off. Boom. I get the first one, two. Three. I just did four last week. Boom. Four. So then right there, something went off. It said, keep going. Five. Six. Then I'm like, oh, this, this is kind of heavy now. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> and then, then my body was like, all right, this is about to be it. So boom, I got the last one. And then nine, I knew, I just knew it. It wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. I just knew my body. So I said, okay. Eight is good. So I rack it. And the guy's like, I thought you said one. And we just kind of laugh. I was like, man, this was only possible because of you. Like you gave me the confidence. You gave me the belief. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I want to see 10 next time. And I was mm-hmm. like, bet. I got you. I got mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So I love I that can, story. I love it, man. man. If, I, if Honestly, I can jump in real quick. I have yeah, yeah. film from like th- th- four or five years ago from the middle of my divorce from the first time I ever benched 225. And I remember as a high school kid, right? It's like two cookies, two plates, big deal. If you can do that. I was four, I was like 40 years old and going through hell and said, okay, if I hit a 225 bench, I don't give a fuck about my divorce for the day. I don't care what happens that day. Nobody can touch me. And I had my buddy film it and I still see it. And I think it's so important that we don't get away from basic shit like that. Like, how did you feel like a God for the rest of the day? I literally went to one of my group chats with a couple of my best friends and I text them. I said, hey, can't nobody tell me nothing today. I just benched 225, you know, like nothing bothered me that day. Everything was cool, you know, and that just speaks to what you're talking about uh, in your value system. Like I was obsessed with this goal. I wanted to hit this goal. You know, I was focused on this goal and. Mm-hmm. 
I know people are like, oh, oh, we're just listening to two meatheads talk about fitness, but it's it's so much no. bigger than that. So it's much bigger. So much bigger than that. It gives mm-hmm. you it, it gives you purpose. It gives you right. it gives you drive. It gives you discipline. And right. these things carry over, you know, into your other into other components of your life. You know, you said something that gave me chills. I text you this morning. It's funny, mm-hmm. you know, you're wearing a shirt that says legend. And I text you this morning and I told you that you were a legend. Mm-hmm. What you said at this TED talk gave me chills. Mm-hmm. You said society doesn't know what to do with the modern man. I do. We uncivilized them. Mm-hmm. It gave me chills mm-hmm. to claim society doesn't know what to do. I do. Mm-hmm. The, the way you said it, full confidence. You know, speak to me about that confidence about your you as a teacher, you know, you as a facilitator, as a leader, you know, how are you stepping into this role? What type of things do you need to show up and embody this role? Mm -hmm. First, let me tell you, the first time I shared this whole idea with someone who I respect immensely. This is a guy you'll love this story, Sly. He's a black, gay male with a Harvard degree. And I remember him saying to me, like, oh, you think you ever have it tough? I'm the blackest guy in every room. I'm the gayest guy in every room. And I'm the smartest guy in every room. So I'm often not that liked. And I was like, damn. Okay, cool. And so I I sit down. I'm on the phone with him. I tell him my whole idea. I'm like, I want to bring back the primal. I want to marry it with the divine. I want to take what's innate in men. And I want to add in consciousness. And I go through like a 35-minute explanation of this whole thing. Right. And he's on the phone with me and it's just dead quiet after. And immediately I'm like, this is the dumbest idea. This was so fucking stupid. I can't believe I shared this. He's going to, he hates it. He's a classic, right? All my story and programming comes in. And he stops, takes another breath and says, do you have any idea how this is going to change the entire world? And I got fucking chills, right? Chills. And I said, I, I, I have, I have a, I, 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 I may have a tiny idea. He said, you'll change countries. This whole idea is going to change the entire face of masculinity. And, and we hung up. And I got in bed and for, pulled the covers over my head. And for 24 hours, was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> no siree. I'm not doing it. No, 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 no. Let someone else handle this. Let someone else take all the heat. Let's no. And I had to work through the idea that not only does this have the potential to change the world, it's going to radically change mine over and over and over and over again. And so I had to sit in that bed and make peace with whatever happens. And this is in the middle of me too, right? That's what's going on culturally. So anytime I spoke about men, I got slammed down. I had people calling me a misogynist, people calling me a, everything you can think of just for talking about men, not even saying anything, just period. And I went, okay, I'm going to own this. And boom, like I felt it go through my system. I felt the ripple and the connection to something higher. And I remember looking up and saying, if you want to ruin my life, go for it. You want to cancel me and get me in all kinds of trouble and, and have me just skewered publicly? You know what? I'm, I'm okay with it. Go for it. And if not, I'm okay with the other side too. So that was the starting point of really making peace with this has nothing to do with me. I am just the vessel through which this information is going to come. And you know what? There's, I'm going to be forgotten about in 40 years anyway. It doesn't matter. Boom. Get, go for it. But then, Sly, I actually started talking to men, and I started talking about men. And the feedback I got was, holy shit, I've never heard anything like this before. Holy shit, this is what I've been waiting for for 25 years. I've checked into the men's movement, and I left it. I joined a men's group, and it wasn't for me. I've literally been waiting for someone to do the yes and of the primal and the divine. Not like, let's be a Navy SEAL for the weekend or let's be a vegan feminist poet for the weekend. Like, how do we actually embrace both of these sides? So when I heard that over and over and over and over again, I believed it. And I believed it with the asterisks of, this isn't me. 
This isn't me, Traver Boehm, coming up with these ideas. This is because I remember how many times, I'm sure you've had this, typing away and just sobbing and having no idea of why I'm crying, but I'm just writing furiously about men, waking up the next morning, rereading it and being like, did I write that? Holy shit, right? (laughs) I have zero recollection of writing this. So knowing that it was something bigger, And when I said that on that stage, that was the stance I took of I'm watching my work work. I'm watching my way work better than everybody else's way out there. And this was early in the men's game. So there weren't a lot of, you know, quote competition. So I don't want to claim that from an arrogant standpoint. It's saying, hey, what was working in the past doesn't seem to be any longer. And this is. So I will fucking take that and boom, stake in the ground, claim it. Let's talk about one of the worst pieces of advice that men, some men have lived by for decades. Happy wife, happy life. Oh yeah. Personally, as a, uh, as a man and as a father, this is something that I will never ever tell my son or my daughter. I don't have a daughter yet, Uh, but I would never ever say something like this to my son i i i couldn't it it my body is getting angry thinking about i visualized me saying it to my son and my my body got mad mm. it got angry just now i want you to speak about what's wrong with not only this phrase and more importantly what we should be embodying you know mm. when it comes to that type of phrase happy wife happy life Yeah, man, I found a document that I actually wrote to myself in my marriage. And it was like 12 commandments for success. I think the first one was like, be authentically me. Number two, happy wife, happy life. What do you know? I am divorced. So so is 99% of the men I know who were told that and who embodied it. Now, why is it wrong? Is it to say like, wow, you want an unhappy wife? No, not at all. It's about taking the focus and saying, as a man, my job is not to make her happy. My job is to live a rich, extraordinary, vibrant, safe, protective, expansive life. That is my job, whether I have a spouse, whether she's a she, whether she's a he, he's a he, whether I have kids, whether I don't. That is my frame as a man, period. That is what I am here to do on this earth, whether I get married, have a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, none. I'm here to have a mission and I'm here to have a purpose that's bigger than my relationship. Now, a lot of guys right now are like, holy fuck, but she's going to leave or holy fuck, I'll never attract somebody. And here's the, the divine mind fuck of our current culture. It is the exact opposite. It is the exact opposite. I remember sitting down with my current partner, you know, when we first started dating and saying, hi, I really like you. And I'm not here to fuck around. I actually want to date you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to get married at some point. I want to have kids. I'm not hiding behind any ambiguity around any of that. That's what I'm interested in in the romantic sense. And this is my life. I'm going to write, I'm going to speak, I'm going to travel, I'm going to live outside of the box, it's going to be a wild, crazy adventure, I'm going to be on stages, I'm going to be doing all kinds of crazy shit, and that will never change. Whether you're in my life or you're not in my life, that will not change. Now, I would love for you to come be a part of my life, if it works for you. But if it doesn't, nothing you do will change this. And it wasn't from an arrogant place. It wasn't from a standoffish place or a lack of connection or a lack of intimacy or a lack of desire for connection or intimacy. It was the opposite. It was saying to her, this is my trajectory. I would love for you to be a part of it. And in hindsight, she's told me it was one of the most attractive things a man's ever said to her because it said, hey, this guy knows where he's going. This guy knows what he's about. He's, he's boldly claiming. He's not hiding, right? So many guys I talk to are like, well, I kind of sort of want to be an actor. I'm like, bro, you are going to get eaten alive 
by the guy who goes, you know what I want to be? I want to be an actor. I will, I will wash tables. I will sleep in cars. I, I want to be an actor, right? I, you, you've, how many books have you written? 50? Yeah. <laughs> At <Nah>. this point? <laughs> like, how nah. many? Nine? Yeah. yeah nah. like, yeah. And I wrote one this morning, so 10. Uh, how many people do you know who are, quote, writing a book? Every single day. Hey, uh, thinking about writing this book. Hey, uh, you know, what would you do if you were me and you were starting this book? Hey, I, I want to write a book. Do you have any advice? Yeah, just start. Mm -hmm. Get going. Right. Get obsessed. Get focused. Stop waiting for approval. Stop waiting for someone to say, you can do it. You're good enough. You're worthy. Start right now. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, and if we ask someone, who would you rather date? Who would you rather be in relationship with? Who would you rather be married to? A guy or a woman, either one, I'm not going to gender this, who's like, well, I kind of sort of want to do this thing, but you know, I'm not sure if it's going to work out. And so I don't want to take the risk or someone who goes, I'm going to write books. I'm going to write nine of them by the time I'm 34. I'm going to write 22 of them by the time I'm 40. I would love to have you in my life, but by the way, between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. every day, I write and I write my ass off. And yes, I'm still human. You coming into my life will change, change me in amazing ways. I will change you in amazing ways, but this one thing won't change. And so if we go back to happy wife, happy life, unfortunately, I did this in my marriage and I know so many men who did. We take that idea and go, I'm going to do this thing if you give me your approval. And I've immediately outsourced permission, power, strength, my integrity, and as a man, my masculinity to my partner who has good days and bad days, up days and down days. And so here I am chasing this ethereal thing. I'm like, oh, are you happy today? No, you're not. Okay, let me stop my mission. Let me stop my, what I'm doing and come over here and try to quote, make you happy, which doesn't work. And I'm not saying, Sly, that there aren't days because there definitely have been days in my life where my partner's been struggling and I've called my team and gone, hey, guys, I got something I gotta, I'm taking care of. Run the ship today. Boom. And I'm with her. Right? It's not saying like when your kid gets sick, you're not going to be like, well, you know what, Mason? Daddy's a writer. So <laughs> fix that shit up and, and get, back, get back to the game. But it's, it's really, Sly, it's taking the focus from codependence. If she's okay, I'm okay. That's happy wife, happy life. I will, I will have a happy life if she's happy. Taking that and flipping it and saying, I'm going to have an amazing life. And by doing so, that will actually inspire you to have a rich, amazing life too. So I flipped it and say, happy life, happy wife. But then I even just drop the last part and go, happy life, period. That's your frame. That's your focus. That's what you need to be after. Have an amazing life, no matter who's in it or who's not in it. I love how we get, get to this space of speaking on, you know, the romantic side of things. And uh, when was the last time you wrote a love poem? I voice record them. Oh, yeah. So my partner's been down in Guatemala and I would send her voice notes of love poetry. Yeah. So I, I do it. Right. It's, I haven't sat down and written one though. Sly to answer your question in some time. Mm. My invitation to you today is to write a poem, whatever theme comes up and feels most appropriate to you and genuine to you. But I want you to write some poetry. And yes, sir. Whether it whether it's for you or for someone else, you know, I'll let you decide that. I don't really like to go into writing trying to control the outcome, especially when it's you know something genuine from the heart. So you know, sit with that. Let me know what you come up with. I would love to know. I will do this. I'm actually going to go fly down to see her in a couple of days, and uh, I think it'll be a beautiful thing to read. There we go. There we go. What are some of the values that? you know, modern day man should be, and I use should lightly, you know, should is a light word. We, we got to be mindful when we use that word. But when we're looking for a partner, 
you know, um, and, and let me even use the word partner loosely because it may not be, let's get married. It may be, Hey, someone just to hang out with just what for each person has to find their own line here. But what are at least two values that are important to you that you think men should consider when they're looking to partner with someone? Hmm. I, th- I first thing I ask guys is this, why do you want to be in relationship? Like a lot of guys can't answer that question or they give this standard, you know, like, Oh, I just want someone to be there. I just want to, so I want someone to share my life with like, that's not a good enough answer. Why do you want to be in partnership? Is it so that you have a travel buddy and you guys just see the different places of the world? Do you want a fitness partner? Do you want a mother for your children? I'm speaking heteronormatively. Do you want a romantic partner? Do you want someone that you can pursue an interest with or heal and grow with, et cetera? Why are you engaging in this activity? A lot of guys never get past like, I don't know, she's warm and I like having sex. Okay. What happens? You know, that's, that's going to be great for the first six weeks. And then, then what happens? So one, why are you there? Number two, what do you need from this relationship? What do you need in a partner so that you can be fully expressed? Right? What kind of support do you need? Especially for men, we don't often think, what do I require? I require shit. You're a human. You require stuff. Right? And this isn't like a job title, but what do you require so that you feel safe, so that you feel seen, so that you feel met, and so that you feel celebrated? What do you require for that? And then third is, what are you bringing to the table to actually provide that container for your partner? What work are you doing so that you are actually going to show up as the best possible man? How do you react to emotion? How do you react to anger? Have you gone to therapy? Yeah, you do you work through some of that stuff with your mom and dad and their divorce. Have you done that? So I think those are the main three. Like, why are you here? What do you need? What do you bring? How do you want to serve this woman or this man? Like, I, I, I want to be very clear that I view my job in my partnership as a service oriented job. And that doesn't say, I'm not saying happy wife, happy life, but I'm here to be in service of the relationship and in service of that woman. This is a different slant on relationship, but this one I believe in. And she is in the same way. How is she devoted to our relationship? How is she devoted to me and my expansion? These are such great things for men to think about. How do I provide a container of safety for a human who most likely has not spent much time on this earth feeling safe? What an opportunity for us as a couple. What an honor for me as a man. What an extremely interesting and beautiful experience for her as a woman. Right? So I just want guys to drop below the surface. Look, I love boobs. I fucking love them. Boobs, surfboards, Swedish fish. That's like my trifecta of happiness. Yet we have to, dro- we have to drop below that, right? We have to go, okay, cool. If I lived on an island of boobs, great surf and Swedish fish, again, at the six week mark, I'm probably going to go, well, all right, what else can I do here? How do I contribute? How do we drop a little bit deeper? How do we actually create something? And, and I ask men, like, I wouldn't show up to a job interview and if they were like, so what can you do? I'm like, I don't know. What do you, got, what do you guys need? I, I wouldn't show up that way. And if they said, so what do you want from us? I'm like, I don't know. Like, hopefully you guys pay me. Like, we wouldn't do that in the business world. Right. right. I think that's often the frame slide that a lot of guys show up to the relationship world with. Like, I don't know what I need and I don't know what I bring. And then what do you know? They're in this cycle of toxicity or the cycle of, of when things get hard, which they, they will. We're both in relationships. You know, there are challenging times. You have to be able to look back on the, oh, this is why I'm here. Let me make sure I got your trifecta right. You said boobs, surf, and Swedish fish. (laughs) (laughs) 
please title the episode. <laughs> <laughs> right? That'd be the title of the episode. <laughs> hey, I'll do it. I'll do it. They'll be like, what is he talking about in this episode? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My sponsor is Organifi. I don't know if they'd be okay with that (laughs) one. So, (laughs) Uh, Wait, Sweetest Fish, is that like the red candy? Yeah, yeah. Is is it sour? No, it's it's, it's sweet. 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 Okay, okay. Little gummy things, yeah. Wow, I have to try those. I I don't think I've had those in a while. Yeah. I've had Instagram followers like, mail me two pound bags of them <laughs> i had a buddy who i left my truck at his house for a winter and when i came back he'd hidden bags i found bags like a year later like i hit the sunglass thing that nobody ever uses you know on the roof that drops uh-huh. down it was like a bag of swedish fish that was a year old yeah that's got to be like an amazing dopamine hit just to find some swedish fish like oh yeah today's great <laughs> randomly sitting in i was sitting in like a toll line or to pay a toll and when else do you hit your your sunglass thing? It was like, dunk. Oh my god! <laughs> right. <laughs> I think my three trifecta would be okay. So I mean, I like boobs too. Like, let's just be honest. But I'm more of a I'm more of a booty guy. So probably booty, beach. I don't surf. But I get out yeah. on that beach and, and work on my tan, man. Got to lay out there, <laughs> get the brown on. So I will go. I will go booty beach, and man, you give me a good chicken taco, man, and I'm I'm blessed, bro. I, I, I could eat chicken tacos every day. <laughs> All right, folks, where can we mail chicken tacos? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so speaking of food, this is actually something that I was intending to ask you. It was my last question on my chart. Sure. Uh, you're someone who's traveled to different countries, and then you have a very uh, interesting background as a as an acupuncturist, as well as a trainer. Um, and you've you've done crazy stuff like sit by yourself for 28 days in the dark and not speak to people, and you know you've had such a vast experience in the world in different cultures and different regions. So I'm curious to speak to you on the food perspective. Uh, you know, what's a day to day like for you eating food? And, and then obviously what's a perfect day? Like if you're like, hey, this is a perfect day of eating uh, and use the word perfectly loosely. Sure. We're not, not here to be a perfectionist, but sure. uh, yeah. T- talk to me about that a little bit. I'll tell you what it's like now. Cause it's shifted Sly. Uh, I don't eat a lot of breakfast. So I get, wake up, have a cup of coffee. I may have a smoothie. Uh, if I'm going to, if I'm going to train between 11 and one, I'll have something just like 10 o'clock to get something in my system. Uh, lunch is often leftovers or like today I had two bananas and some peanut butter. It's odd that for my size, I don't eat a lot. And then now, so I grew up allergic to wheat, dairy, and cats. So cats, we can take off the table. I don't eat them, but wheat and dairy in the 80s, there was no gluten-free this, dairy-free that. So I was the oddball all the time. I was the kid with like rice cake, peanut butter sandwiches, getting made fun of at lunch. I was a kid in college who our swim team would stop at a pizza joint on the way home and I would get like a salad. So I have recently found gluten-free pasta that's legit. That like, I can't tell the difference between gluten-free pasta and the old days of non-gluten-free pasta. So as much as I perpetuate, you know, a paleo diet and a vegetable-based diet, I eat a fuck ton of gluten-free pasta because I'm making up for those years from like nine to 34 when that stuff didn't exist. But if I'm not doing that, I do follow a generally paleo-esque. I eat a lot of rice because I grew up in Japan. So I'll eat a ton of rice with, with most meals. Last night I had steak, rice, and a big plate of broccoli. And that was my dinner. And it's usually like 6, 6.30. And then I don't eat again until noon. But then, you know, if I'm traveling, I, I love food and love to just eat different cuisines from different places. So we were just down in Costa Rica for a couple months and ate a ton of just extraordinary Mexican food. Great chicken tacos, great beans and rice, great burritos, even if it wasn't gluten-free. Um, but I, I know the value of nutrition and performance. 
And there's also the fine line. Like there were years of my life, Sly, when I had to eat because that was my job. I had to lose 20 pounds in six weeks for a fight. I wasn't eating sugar. I wasn't eating grains. I wasn't eating anything fun. It was just very strict. And I don't want to get back to that point because life was miserable back then. It's some, for, on some level. And so I balance it between, hey, I, I, like this week, I have a lot coming up. I'm going to eat really clean. Right? I'm going to make sure that I actually have more vegetables on the plate than anything else. Uh, and yet there are also ebbs and flows where like, man, there's gluten-free pizza. So I'll, I'll get that, right? So it's, I, I like to have the combination of, I want to have a rich feeling in my life of like, I'm not limited. It was really hard growing up as a kid, not being able to eat 80% of the world's food. But yet I don't want to get stuck eating. You know, I joke about Swedish fish. I don't really eat a lot of them because you know what happens? I wake up in the morning and I feel like I'm hungover and I don't drink. So on purpose, I like to let my food fuel my body, but then also inspire me at the end of the day to be like, man, that was a really good meal. That was delicious. So that's kind of how I balance it. Okay. We're going to end here with the lightning round. Okay. Sure. So here are the <clears throat> rules. Okay. I'm going to say one word and then you respond with whatever comes to you. Okay. A single have... word response or you want a couple word response? I'm going to say one word. You respond, whatever comes to you. If it's a single word, cool. If it's a story, a paragraph, okay. whatever. Cool. Okay. We'll end there. Okay. Musician. Mm. You know why I write, Sly? Because I can't play music. I think the number one most impactful medium on earth is music. If I could sing and play music and know that like people weep at concerts. I remember I still listen to, you'll love this, to Bananarama, Cruel Summer. Why? Because that was in Karate Kid. And that was the movie that changed my life. So to me, musicians are, man, they're the bridge between the divine and our hearts. And they just like punch our hearts, really good musicians, with what is so different with art. It is the greatest medium of art dissemination on the planet. Favorite book? Ooh. Man, I mean, you gotta know that's a stumper. Um, Defy Gravity by Carolyn Mace. Um, that was a biggie. Uh, the Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. I'm going to list, list a couple. Um, shit, there's another one by Carolyn Mace, which is like I read in my 20s and it completely changed my life. Her basic, basic book, um, like her first one. Everybody's probably saying it while listening to this out loud, but Anatomy of the Spirit, Carolyn Mace. There you go. One fictional character that you would be or meet if you could. Mm. Not a fictional character because, well, he was a fictional character to me, but he was in real life was Bruce Lee. I would just say, I would, I would, I have a million questions for him. That man was huge inspiration to me and just what he did to, to change the course of martial arts and philosophy and, you know, to be a minority who, who got into mainstream media and just like, fuck it, I'm going to do it my way. I would love to sit down with that guy. 